The following is a paid program. The views expressed by the following program are those of the sponsor and not necessarily those of 77 WABC and Red Apple Media. This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's Editor-in-Chief, David Wildstein. Hello, everybody. It's Juneteenth uh, in New Jersey, where lawmakers passed a bill designating the newest state holiday with, with bipartisan support. And, and I want to read you what Lieutenant Governor Sheila Oliver, first woman of color to hold statewide office in New Jersey, uh, just said a little while ago on Twitter. She said, we commemorate not only the full end of slavery in the United States, but the hopes that systemic racism will one day be defeated. There was... Big news in New Jersey on Friday, and it's good news. Uh, It is the fact that more than 4.7 million New Jerseyans have been fully vaccinated. That puts the state about two weeks ahead of the goals that officials said about six months ago. Uh, Governor Phil Murphy, who is running for re-election this year, touted this as an accomplishment. He said the goal of 4.7 million vaccinations was one of the most aggressive in the country. And he said it meant that tens of thousands of shots in the arm were coming every day. But his Republican opponent, Jack Chitterelli, he doesn't see it that way. Chitterelli agreed that putting COVID behind us and reopening the state's economy was good news. But what Chitterelli didn't like was that mission accomplished victory lap. Uh, he called it offensive to the 8,000 seniors in veterans who died in nursing homes because what he is saying is a result of Murphy's policies. Chitterelli called it offensive to kids who lost a year in in in-person instruction and small businesses that had to shut down. So there you have it. This is what the campaign will see for the next 136 days. The New Jersey governor's race is a referendum on Governor Murphy's four years. That's what re-election campaigns are. Murphy's approval ratings are in the 50s. Those are those are good numbers. And polling shows most New Jerseyans agree with the governor's handling of the pandemic. So Chitterelli's job between now and November 2nd is to convince New Jersey voters that their initial instinct was wrong, that Murphy made serious mistakes in New Jersey's response to a global health pandemic. And and if he can do that, well, then we're going to have a competitive race to watch. And if he can't, Phil Murphy's going to get a second term. Governor Murphy will join me here on the New Jersey Globe Power Hour next Saturday, June 26th. And I will ask him about what he's done right and what he's done wrong. Today, I'll speak with two powerful political party leaders to talk about the governor's race and about last week's primary and the upcoming general. At 420, I'll be joined by Paul Giuliano, the Bergen County Democratic chairman. There are more votes in Bergen County than anywhere else in the state, and Governor Murphy's reelection might hinge on on turnout and and support in Bergen. Uh, Coming up at 435, I'll speak with Al Barlas, the Essex County Republican chairman. He's also the co-chairman of the New Jersey Legislative Apportion Committee apportionment commission that will draw new state senate and assembly districts for the next election uh, once the census certifies the 2020 count juliano and barless are 
key players in New Jersey politics, and you won't want to miss what either one of them has to say. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. On Thursday morning, the U.S. House of Representatives Homeland Security Committee held a Zoom hearing with the Secretary of Homeland Security to discuss his proposed budget for next year. This is important stuff. But Congressman Donald Payne Jr., Democrat from Newark, New Jersey, now get this, Congressman Payne showed up in his underwear. Uh, you, can, you can't make this this stuff up. He's he's wearing a Captain America T-shirt and boxer shorts, and he's sitting next to an unmade bed. The pillows and the blankets are strewn about. So Congressman Payne stands up, his belly exposed, and and he lingers in front of the camera for a moment before he walks away. Uh, I have grown accustomed to being disappointed with some of the people who serve in public office. And, and after 48 years in New Jersey politics, I, I, I set the bar fairly low. I, I think by this point, I've seen everything. But sometimes and sometimes you, you sort of look the other way. It takes a lot more to shock me than it used to. But even as jaded as I can sometimes be, I think you've got to think that a United States congressman ought to at the very least, he ought to put on a pair of pants before he goes to work. I mean, is that asking for too much? I, I don't. I don't think I'm being unreasonable here. When you have a congressman who, you know, who if he wore a robe like Jeff Bridges did in Big Lebowski, well, that would be a step up. And a congressman appearing in an important hearing in his underwear—that is just unacceptable. And it's it's fair to ask. What are the consequences for Congressman Payne's uh, Victoria's Secret moment? So, so let me explain that. There are none. There are no consequences. Donald Payne comes from a safe Democratic district. It's, it's one of the most heavily Democratic districts in the U.S. He, he won his last election with 83% of the vote. Joe Biden won that district with 84%. And in fairness, Donald Payne Jr., he's not a bad guy. He's just not setting the world on fire. He's not a go-getter. He's not a visionary. Payne doesn't raise a lot of money. He doesn't sponsor landmark legislation. He's he's just sort of there. And he's been there since 2012 when he succeeded his father, Donald Payne Sr., who, who died after serving with distinction for nearly 25 years in the U.S. House of Representatives. So as long as party leaders allow Donald Payne to stay around, uh, you'll keep singing Captain Underpants in the United States Congress. Uh, if you want to see the video for yourself, go to the NewJerseyGlobe.com website. It's, it's the only photo of a congressman's bare belly on the website, so you cannot miss it. This is David Wildstein. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. For me, the, the Donald Payne underpants story was of the kind of thing I'd have picked up the phone and called my close friend of more than 20 years, Candy Strait, and, and we would have talked about it. And she would have laughed, and then she would have turned serious and bemoaned the decline of the quality of some members of Congress. 
Candy Strait died last Sunday after a brief illness. She was she was just seventy three. She was nationally known as a passionate advocate for electing women to public office. She was a key player in New Jersey politics for almost forty years. And Candy was mostly behind the scenes, and and if you've never heard of her before, that's it's probably the way she would have wanted it. But she was a force. She raised millions of dollars for candidates she liked. She was a, a giant on Wall Street. Over the last few years, she, she built yet another career for herself as a movie producer, making films about women characters from scripts written by and, and directed by women. And, and the best way to describe Candy was authentic. She always spoke from the heart. She never held back from her honest assessment on anything. Uh, during a, a self-inflicted rough patch in my own life during Bridgegate, I called her, and, and the first thing she said to me without any hesitation was, that was an incredibly stupid thing you did. And then within seconds, she's asking for a rundown on some New Jersey campaigns. Uh, everybody needs a candy straight in their life, somebody who will be completely frank with you but will be your friend unconditionally. And, and so – I'm one of many, many, many friends she leaves behind, and, and all of us will miss her deeply. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABP. Uh, every big election seems to include independent candidates. These are people who stand outside supermarkets collecting signatures on nominating petitions so they can run against the Democrats and the Republicans who were nominated in primaries. And, and one thing I've seen over the years uh, is that many of the independent candidates, they think they can win. You know, if only the media would cover them, they could reach enough voters with their compelling message and pull off a, a miracle. Uh, so, so let's be clear, no independent has ever, uh, ever gotten more than 6% of the vote in a New Jersey gubernatorial campaign, not even, even with the Star Ledger's endorsement. That happened 12 years ago. And an independent hasn't won a state legislative race in 48 years. And even when that happened, it was uh, under special circumstances. So the New Jersey Globe is not going to cover independent candidates very often, probably probably not not very much at all, unless candidates can show some viability, like raising enough money to qualify for state matching funds and somehow secure a place in the official gubernatorial debates. But uh, we will we will see where where that goes. I will be back with Paul Giuliano. He is the uh, Bergen County Democratic chairman and then with Al Barless, the Essex County Republican chairman, to talk about the race for governor, a bunch of other interesting topics you're going to want to hear about. So please don't go anywhere. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. The New Jersey Globe Power Hour is on. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back. It's David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. And more than 10% of all New Jersey voters live in Bergen County. It's the, the largest county in the state. And Paul Giuliano is the Bergen County Democratic Chairman. Mr. Chairman, welcome. Yes, David, thanks for having me. Hey, Chairman, how are you? Uh, so, so Bergen County is nearly a, a million people. It's got about 700,000 registered voters in 70 towns. I mean, and it runs the gambit, right? Huh? Heavily wealthy, middle class, blue collar, places that are economically disadvantaged. Bergen used to be a swing county. Why has it become 
so decisively blue over the last couple of years? You know, I think that um, the county has shifted uh, with respect to voter registration. There are uh, more Democrats have uh, moved into the county. Um, and I think that um, from a strategy standpoint, the party has embraced great candidates. And I think the messaging has been right. And I think they've uh, uh, we've run a very responsible government. So I think that uh, all of those reasons are reasons for why we've been successful in Bergen County. <clears throat> and, and Chairman Phil, Phil Murphy carried Bergen by I think it was 15 points and Joe Biden won it by 16 points over over Donald Trump. Can Jack Chitterelli narrow that gap in Bergen County? Where there's just there, there's too many voters to ignore there. No doubt about it. And, and certainly uh, whenever you're in a race, right, you run scared or unopposed. So we intend to run hard uh, through the tape. But my my personal view is that the governor um, will, will perform um, as well or better this year. Uh, we're going to work very hard to, to, to see that through, but that's, uh, I think that's where we are uh, with respect to his race. And you just came off a, a, a tough primary. You saw the governor. The governor's poll numbers, I'm told, are, were, were pretty good in, in, in the, at least the eastern part of the county where you had a contested primary. Oh, certainly. Certainly. They were over 90 percent um, in District 37. And, and I'm speaking with Bergen County Democratic Chairman Paul Giuliano. Chairman, you, you had a I mean, this is a hugely competitive primary election for for Senate in the 37th. I mean, open seats don't come up very often. Uh, and in many ways, this race tested your leadership. Both the state assembly members wanted the seat. You backed you backed Gordon Johnson over Valerie Veneri Huddle. What made you pick Gordon Johnson? Well, let me say this. I You know, I. I uh, was always a proponent of um, what was what is good to advance the cause of the party. And, you know, the, the, the great diversity of District 37, I think, was calling for Gordon Johnson. You know, Gordon Johnson and, and, and Valerie Huddle had similar voting records in the legislature. But Gordon Johnson was a um, was a someone that was very, very accessible. Uh, and worked very hard within the district, uh, showing up at backyard parties, swearing in ceremonies was always very uh, accessible. And it appeared early on, um, very objectively, from from leadership's point, as we surveyed the district, it just appeared that he had considerably more uh, support throughout the uh, leadership in the different towns and cities in 37. And, so, and he won this primary, you know, almost by a three-to-one margin, seventy-four percent of the vote. And, uh, yeah, he carried. He carried it. I mean, I I thought she was ahead in Leonia before I, I I went on the I, I went on the county clerk's website just before I spoke to you, and he had he had pulled that one out. Uh, also, very very won, narrowly, right? Yeah, but he won. He won. He won everywhere. So, uh, my question is: Is this? There's a lot of talk about what are the advantages of an organization line, but but when you win three to one, it's, it's, is it all the line? Well, let me say this. I think there's a, always a significant advantage to be on the line, okay? But there were some other variables. So as you know, as I said earlier, the governor's popularity, 
um, very important on the line. Senator Loretta Weinberg's support of the candidates on the line. Leadership in towns like Fort Lee and Englewood, um, Palisades Park and Teaneck, and all over the county and all over the district, in fact, weighed in as well. And I think it was an all politics is local type of a thing, right? Leadership in all of those towns worked very hard, um, spent a lot of spent a lot of money to get the messaging out, uh, had a massive GOTV effort, had a lot of energy making the phone calls, ringing the doorbells, uh, putting up the signs, doing the field work. Um, and I think that all of those uh, uh, variables are uh, in consideration to why the victory was so wide. And my impression is, and, and you'll obviously be able to tell me whether I'm right or wrong, is once it became apparent that Gordon Johnson was the preferred candidate of your organization, uh, Assemblywoman Venerie Huddle was, was free to keep her assembly seat. She was not being, am, am I correct? She, she was clearly, she was asked to clearly. Stay. In fact, David, I was very, very open about, look, you know, and, you know, it was spun the other way. It was really unfortunate that, that she spun it the other way. I was disappointed. Um, not discouraged, but disappointed. Uh, and I felt, you know, it looked it looked very, it was very clear that Gordon Johnson had leadership in the main uh, towns and cities early on. And I was, I was open with her. And I said, I really would love to see you stay in the assembly. You'll have my full support. This wasn't a, uh, an effort to silence anyone. It was an effort to keep her in the legislature because I thought she had done a, a fairly good job. She just didn't seem to be the, uh, the preferred a candidate of the two. And that was through various conversations and meetings and discussions. And I thought, what best, what better than to be very honest with her? And so uh, if she had opted to stay with the assembly seat, there is no question I would have been, I would have supported her, uh, you know, fully. And I believe that, uh, you know, she would be there now. The chairman, you've been, you've been in office about two years or so. This was, this was a seminal moment in your chairmanship. This was the, this is the race you had a win. Does this, does this show you that the, the organization is, is united now going forward? Certainly. Certainly united, and, and you know, David, the idea is if uh, if the organization was not united, uh, even with the line, it would have been a lot. It would have been a lot closer race. Um, I think the last race um, for those for the uh, legislature back in the early 1990s with um, Byron Bear and Mayor Aronson. Of, and we've had these discussions, right? Of, uh, Englewood was a 60-40 race. Mayor Aronson was a very formidable candidate. I had just began as the municipal chair and got involved uh, down in Fairview and got involved in active in the politics countywide. And, you know, it was a real race. The organization was split down the middle by two votes, which was not the case here among county committee. Um, I think equal money was spent, somewhere close to that. And, and it was it was a, you know, a sixty forty or slightly less than that, David. I think you have the numbers, but I think that's about right. It was sixty forty, yes. 
60 40, right? And so, yes, and, about, and, and at your convention, about, I don't know, like two or three votes. Yes, it was a two vote spread. Um, and it was a, a massive turnout. You had, you had significant city leaders, as I remember, you know, um, supporting both, both Byron Bear and Mayor Aronson. It was a, it was a real fight. Um, and so I think, that, so that essentially, I think that's where you see the strength of the line. But when you look at, um, how wide this, the results of this race were, you have to point at multiple things beyond the line, as mentioned before. The governor, Senator Weinberg, uh, spending, we had a great strategy team and, you know, leadership. And I think what happened here right after the assemblywoman decided, um, and look, let me just say, she, uh, you know, Assemblywoman Hunter spent 20 years in public office. And, you know, we have to tip our hat to her and thank her. She had you know, 20 years of great service. So, you know, we have, to, we have to thank her and appreciate that. I believe that the organization felt this was an affrontery on leadership, was not handled the right way. You know, this was an individual that, in fact, you know, was supported by leadership every single time that she ran and decided to go around it. I think had she gone to the convention, no matter what the outcome, you would have seen a lot less energy or some less energy. You might have saw a closer race. Understood. And I'm speaking with Bergen County Democratic Chairman Paul Giuliano. Chairman, there's, uh, before we go, I want to talk about some, some glass ceilings that are going to be broken. So, so this is a heavily Democratic district. It's, it, Republicans are not going to win there. They haven't won there in 48 years. Uh, uh, Gordon Johnson is going to be the first black in the Senate. And you've got, you've got some history coming at the assembly level. You're, electing, uh, two, you're likely to elect two women, both. Asian Americans. One will be the first, uh, the first Muslim American to serve in the legislature. What is, what does that say about the the changes in Bergen County? I think it's very exciting. Um, I think that we've embraced the most diverse ticket uh, in the in the history of the legislature. Uh, Sharma Hader, who's a Muslim uh, female Muslim American, spent you know as you know spent a couple of terms on the council in Tenafly served as a longtime leader of the municipal committee, very insightful, very measured, um, intelligent woman. And she breaks the glass ceiling there. I believe she's the first uh, Muslim, uh, female Muslim American uh, candidate, uh, as, a, as well as Ellen Park. Right, Ellen Park served a term on the Englewood Cliffs Council and then moved on now and will be the first Korean-American female to serve in the legislature. So this is a, we, we had coined this early on a ticket of firsts, right? And it is, you know, the first African-American. I think only the second African-American to serve in the legislature uh, in Bergen, I believe Arnold Brown was the first sometime in the mid-1960s. 1965, Arthur right? from Englewood. That's correct. Oh, that's, that's good, correct. David. That's sure. very good. <laughs> I, I tried. Uh, Chair, I, I've been speaking with Democratic County Chairman Paul Giuliano of Bergen County. Chairman, thank you for coming on. Oh, my God. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. And I will be right back with Essex County Republican Chairman Al Barless. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe. And you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. 
This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's Editor-in-Chief, David Wildstein. Welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you. I'm, uh, I'm having some technical problems, so I, I hope this is working. Uh, I am with Al Barless, the Essex County Republican chairman. Uh, he is one of the sharpest political minds in New Jersey. Mr. Chairman, thank you for joining me. Good afternoon, Dave. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you. Uh, so let, let me, I want to start with this. I want to talk about the governor's race. New Jersey has a million more Democrats than Republicans. Phil Murphy, the, the polls say, is ahead. Can can Jack Chitterelli win? Absolutely, he can. I think Jack is a is a great candidate. I think he's got a message and a and a charisma and a personality that is uh, is very hard to combat. And it you know kind of na- he naturally draws you in uh, just in his sort of ability to connect with people at, at their at a very deep personal and raw level in terms of what they care about. And I think his message, his team, which is a phenomenal team that he's got around him, are going to are going to show that he, you know, that he can be successful in November. So what's the, what's the path? I mean, you, you, you've been county chairman for, for nine years. You were a, you were a pretty good political operative before you became chairman. What, what's the path to a Republican winning in state, in the state of New Jersey? So uh, I think the path for Jack is going to be similar to the Christie 09 path, right? I mean, you know, obviously, you know, you have to run up the score in Monmouth and Ocean. You know, he's got to, uh, you know, he's got to win Morris County, you know, close to the same, you know, numbers that Christie wanted by in 09 as opposed to, you know, Guadano in 17. You know, he's got to try to cut his losses in, in some of the urban counties like Essex and Hudson. And, you know, he's got to, he's got to win Middlesex, and he's got to win Bergen or come very, very close in Bergen County. I mean, if you look at 2009 versus 2017, Christie won Middlesex by roughly 5,000 votes, whereas Guadano lost it by 30,000. And, you know, in Bergen, Christie lost it by roughly 6,000 votes, to Guadano losing it by about 35,000 votes, right? So, I mean, the formula is the Christie 09 formula, in my opinion, uh, without having done a super deep dive into it. Um, but so I think it's doable. So these are, this is, this is appealing to the suburbs. This is, this is, uh, suburban Essex. This is, uh, suburban voters in, in Middlesex County. This is, uh, uh well, blue collar voters in Gloucester. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a piece of it. Uh, but I think also there is the appeal to the urban communities. I mean, look, Jack has already been, you know, it, it, over, uh, I want to say a couple of months ago, he was in the South Ward of Newark handing out, you know, PPEs to folks, right? I mean, it's he, Jack's message of, you know, individual responsibility of government kind of getting out of our way, reopening businesses. Uh, you know, those are things that are going to resonate uh, throughout the state, right? Left, right, center, North Jersey, South Jersey, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter. And I don't believe that Jack is afraid to campaign uh, anywhere, anytime. And I think that's what, you know, he's going to do. And I have full faith and confidence that, you know, that message is going to work. And he won the primary with 48 percent of the vote, which which, you know, you and I have talked about this. That's there's actually a that's actually a decent win compared to to how other Republicans have done historically in a in a contested primary. Is is the Republican Party now moving to embrace Jack Chitterelli? Is the party united behind his candidacy? 
Absolutely. I mean, look, I think we were united by his candidacy in the primary as well, where you had all 21 county organizations supporting, you know, one person. Uh, you know, you've seen in years past where most of the time, you know, the sort of the, the, the presumptive nominee has, everyone has rallied around them, but you've had a few counties who have chosen to go in a different direction, whether it was, you know, uh, um, Bob Schroeder and, and other other folks like that. I think you saw all 21 counties behind Jack. Certainly we had a, he had a spirited primary and he had, you know, a couple other candidates who, you know, had what they thought was the right message. Clearly it was not. Clearly Jack's message was the, was the right message. And, you know, I think we all, if the goal is to win in November, then we all need to, you know, be working in the same direction. And you, you now have a new state chairman coming in, Bob Hugan. He was your, your party. You backed him for the U.S. Senate a, a few years ago. Uh, what does what is Bob Hugan as state chairman mean to the Chitterelli campaign? I don't know what it means to the Chitterelli campaign. I mean, you'd have to ask them. I know what it means to the Republican Party as a whole, and certainly in Essex. I mean, it's a, it, to me, it means a guy who worked hard, who served his country, who was you know, one of the first ones in his family to go to an Ivy League school and, you know, become a successful business person by sheer hard work and, and applying himself. And I think that speaks to what this country is all about. You know, I mean, listen, Dave, we've talked about it before, but, you know, when my parents came here in 1984, 1985, four suitcases, $500, and, and me on my mother's arm, that was the objective, was to have the opportunity that I could spend my Saturday afternoon talking to you on the radio as opposed to, you know, dodging martial law back in Pakistan. And and I, I want to ask you about a, a congressman from Essex County that I spoke about earlier, Donald Payne. Uh, yes. uh, he represents a lot of the towns in, in, in your county, and and uh, uh, he had an unfortunate situation Uh the unintended consequences of Zoom. He was at a congressional hearing in your uh, in, in his underpants. Uh, what does that say to people across the country about about the image they have of politics in New Jersey? I, you know, I, I don't know that it has anything to do with the image of politics in New Jersey. I think it goes to the larger question of you know, do folks care? You know, I elect you to Congress. I expect you to care, and you're my congressman. Uh, he's not mine, but you're my congressman or congresswoman. I expect you to show up, be informed on the issues, and to your point, like you said earlier, have pants on. And, and that's not asking way, for a whole lot, is it? That's the bar's pretty low on that one, as you said as well earlier, Dave. And look, you know, we are, what, a year and a half into this pandemic you know, maybe a year ago this time, it was still funny if your kid walked in the back of a Zoom or, you know, you had the, the sport jacket and the shirt on up top, but, you know, shorts or sweatpants on below. But, I mean, you know, we're a year and a half in. If you don't know how to turn the camera off on a Zoom, I, you know, I don't know what to tell you anymore. Yeah, I don't I don't I I, I think you and I may be on the same page on that one. Let me ask you about uh, some and I want to talk to you about redistricting. You, you, you've generously agreed to stay on. Uh, for the next segment, and I want to talk to you about redistricting then. But right now, for the 2021 legislative races, what's your uh, what's your sense of possible uh, gains for Republicans uh, in in the state Senate and the General Assembly? I think District Two. I think uh, you know, uh, picking up the two assembly seats in District Two 
holding the Senate seat in District 2, getting back the Senate seat in District 8, maintaining the two assembly seats in District 8, um, and then, you know, in District 16, you know, we've we've got a good slate of candidates there, keeping that Senate seat and potentially picking up, you know, the two assembly seats in, in 16 as well. And 11 and is, you know, 11 is a Monmouth County, and, you know, you you would think that there's also a shot there for, you know, for the assembly seats. And and what about, uh, we were talking about Bergen County uh, a little earlier, and, and I think you heard my, my interview with uh, uh, with Chairman Giuliano. Uh, I did. What, what do you, th- are, are there any chances in Bergen, the Republicans, is it, are you seeing this county just going heavily, heavily Democratic? No, I, you know, I mean, listen, certainly the county is changing dramatically. I, I don't think anyone can deny that, right? The numbers don't lie. Um, but I think there are opportunities there. I think there's opportunities there at the local level. I think there's opportunities perhaps even at, you know, at the countywide county commissioner level. You know, legislative seats are, you know, they're harder. And you've got, you know, some strong incumbents in, you know, in the two potentially competitive districts in Bergen in districts 36 and 38. And, you know, I mean, it's going to be a tough hill to climb. Do I think that the, the candidates that are running are going to run a spirited campaign? I do. Um, I have no doubt about that. And this has got to be, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. You've got a relatively new chairman there. He's, he's, I guess, picking up the pieces from, from Paul DiGaetano, who didn't do very much at all. Uh, in, in, in terms of party building, but, but it's just, and I keep focusing on Bergen because it used to be in the old days, if a Republican didn't win Bergen County, they can't win the general. And Christie didn't win, uh, Bergen County, uh, in 2009. He still won, but he did very well there. He came very close. Uh, is Chitterelli, uh, the candidate that's going to appeal to blue collar voters in, in South Bergen? No doubt about it. I mean, Jack, you know, Jack is somebody, when you look at his life story, he's a guy who, you know, grew up, you know, middle class in Raritan, right, in Raritan Borough, and, and, you know, built his way up, went to college, got his MBA, became a CPA, started a successful business, you know, I mean, raised a family with his wife, Melinda, and their four kids, you know, he's got one one son in the military. I mean, I think that's the type of story that resonates with people all over the state and certainly with, you know, the blue collar folks in, you know, in, in North Arlington and Lynnhurst and, and Rutherford and Reese Rutherford, you know, the, the, the types of people that were, you know, that were drawn to, you know, personality that was, you know, the former late great assemblyman, John Kelly. And, and, and John Kelly was, I mean, he was a, a spectacular politician, right? He was, he was the kind of guy who could appeal to Democrats and, and Republicans equally. He just happened to have been a, been a, a, a Republican. That's right. And I think so, Jack has you know, many of those same qualities. And, and I mean, I, I, I noticed recently, and it was just before the primary, Governor Murphy went to Rutherford to dedicate a, a new train station. That wasn't an accident, right? He was, he was in Rutherford because he realizes those are the kind of towns that he needs to win if he's going to get reelected. Yeah, I mean, listen, Dave, I, I don't think there are many coincidences in life and certainly not in electoral politics. And I think going to Rutherford is, you know, is key. I mean, you know, Chairman Giuliano mentioned it before, right? I mean, they've, they've in the last, you know, decade or so, the Bergen County Democratic Party has spent a significant amount of time and resources uh, with candidates, you know, in traditionally 
Republican or soft Republican communities such as Rutherford and, you know, swing towns. And I think the governor being there is an indication that, you know, those places matter. And I'm speaking with Essex County Republican Chairman Al Barlas. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about what what a lot of people are talking about in New Jersey uh, right now, which is which is congressional redistricting and then legislative uh, redistricting. So stay tuned. You're not going to want to miss that. Don't go away. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. And you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back. It's David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and I'm speaking with the Essex County Republican Chairman, Al Barless. Uh, Chairman, I'd like to talk to you about redistricting. Uh, you are, sure. you are, you are one of the, the key guys. You are, you know, not just in the room, you are at the head of the table for the Republican side when it comes to creating new legislative districts. Let me, let's talk about congressional first. Uh, sure. Democrats named their, their new panel this week. Now you've got all 12 members. Uh, what's the next step? How, how does, how does congressional redistricting work in New Jersey? So Dave, you pointed out in your story, uh, you know, they have until I believe it's the middle of August in which to either agree on a, uh, tiebreaker. And by they, I mean the, the six Republican members and the six Democrat members. Uh, and if not, um, what happens, I believe, is that they take a vote of potential candidates and then submit that list of candidates and the and their corresponding vote totals to the Chief Justice and the Supreme Court, where they must pick from the two top vote-getting losers, I guess you would call them. So this is going to be a 6-6 vote, and the the Supreme Court's going to have to pick either the Democratic candidate or the Republican candidate. I would assume so, yeah. And, Look, I and I, you know, in years past, we've had you know sort of deal maps, but I don't know if we're going to get there this time. So, what's the goal? I mean, obviously, obviously, it will, you know, it goes without saying. Uh, the goal of, of Democrats and Republicans is to gain more seats, and not and the, and the goal is not to lose seats. But realistically, we're looking at a ten to Democratic map on congressional, and and is it is it going to be a tough case for Democrats to make to say that they should have more than ten members of Congress? Yeah, I do think it's going to be a tough case because at some point you get to a point where the map is no longer fair, it's no longer competitive, and quite frankly, and most importantly, it's no longer responsive to the will of the voters. Um, you know, as you mentioned earlier, you've got Congressman Payne in an 80-some-odd percent Democrat district. He can end up on a congressional hearing Zoom in his underwear, and, you know, it's going to be what it's going to be. <laughs> I think, and, and- you know... For Republicans, as we did 10 years ago with congressional redistricting, you know, success for us is saying this is a truly competitive map. These are the, you know, here are X number of competitive districts, and they will bend to the will of the voters, and they will bend to, you know, a wave election as we saw, you know, between 2016 and 2018. So what... Members, what Democratic members of Congress from New Jersey do you think uh, ought to be most concerned about going into redistricting? I think those that aren't in 80 some odd percent Democratic districts probably all have a little bit of, you know, 
something to look at. Uh, you know, if the goal here is to have truly competitive districts that will be responsive to the will of the voters, then, you know, some folks, and by the way, in both parties, whether that's, you know, the 10 Democrats or Congressman Smith or Van Drew, you know, they're going to be in districts that are going to be, you know, they might not win with 60 some odd percent of the vote anymore. And and you're looking at now, now I want to talk about, I mean, and congressional is going to be, I, I think, and, and please tell me if I'm wrong, which you, you never hesitate to do. Uh, but I think you're going to know a lot about where redistricting is going to go within the next month when you see who the, who the Supreme Court picks as that tiebreaker? Yes, uh, I think you will, because the question is going to be, you know, who to the, which candidates or potential tiebreakers do the two sides put up, right? Are they both putting up candidates that are, you know, either going to be proactive in terms of map making on their own? Are they going to force compromise? Are they staunch partisans in their own rights uh, or you know or are they truly independent people who believe that the objective here is to have a fair and responsive map to the will of the voters and and let's shift before before we run out of time I, I have to talk to you about legislative you are the you are the co-chair of the legislative apportion commission so your job for the 23 elections but this is going to come up in the next couple months your job is to draw a 40 new districts, 40 Senate, four Senate, 40 senators and 80 members of the state assembly. Uh, Democrats have huge majorities in the state legislature. They say that's reflective of where the state is. Uh, what are you going to be looking at in legislative redistricting from the Republican side? Uh, it's going to be uh, my, my approach and the approach of the members on the Republican side of the commission, I suspect is similar to that of the Republican members on the Congressional. It's to have a truly fair and responsive map to the will of the voters. Uh, it's, you know, I, you know, you, Dave, and some of your listeners might be thinking I'm reading off of a script, but that is, quite frankly, the truth and the reality. I mean, you have a map in place right now that in 2013, when, you know, when Chris Christie got 60-some-odd percent of the votes, no district shifted. No district, law, you know, saw a... Uh, a, a change in the representations, and I don't think anybody can deny that was not a wave election. You know, I mean, you're going to have districts that won't change on both sides of the aisle, but you have to have as many districts as possible, I believe, and certainly the Republican members believe, that will shift with the voters. You know, otherwise you're going to just kind of get the status quo, and I think that's a disservice to everybody. I think you need to have, you know, Legislators who understand what their constituents want, you know, the likes of a Bill Gormley or a, or a, you know, or a, or a Kevin O'Toole or a Joe Carrillos or a, you know, or, you know, somebody on the Democrat side, you know, Dave, give me a hand here. I, you know, my Democratic politics aren't as good as yours. <laughs> well, look, I mean, you, you mentioned Kevin O'Toole and that is, that's a great example of, of the uncertainties of, a redistricting process. He was he was in the assembly representing an Essex Union County district, went all the way down to Roselle Park, moved up to the Senate, and then found himself back in the assembly representing uh, northern northwestern Bergen County. Yeah, I mean, listen, he went through it. Uh, Assemblyman Sean Keene went through it, right in Monmouth and Ocean counties. He was in the assembly, went to the Senate, went right, you know, went back to the assembly. So yeah, I mean, it's it's 
those are the perils of redistricting. And what are what do you I mean, are Democrats Democrats are clearly going to look at this as an opportunity to expand their majorities. Uh, again, is this come down to uh, what the what the ideology of a tiebreaker is? I think so. And I think, you know, what? Uh, yeah, I think it comes out of the ideology of the tiebreaker. And, you know, does a tiebreaker believe that, you know, the Democrats are you know trying to be a little too greedy? And Chief Justice Stuart Rabner, unlike congressional, where it's the top two vote getters go to the entire Supreme Court for legislative, it's different, right? How is the tiebreaker chosen there? So if we can, if the two sides cannot agree on a tiebreaker, then it is up to the chief justice to pick one. Uh, That is what the Constitution says. And the chief justice uh, can pick from anyone, anywhere that they like. and, uh, you know, the, 10 years ago, uh, there was, uh, uh, was, the selection was Alan Rosenthal, and, you know, uh, a list of names was provided, three names was provided by each side uh, in hopes of a common name. And, uh, and that's what happened, and that's where, you know, Professor Rosenthal uh, ended up as our tiebreaker 10 years ago. And and Chief Justice Rabner, I mean, has he given? Is there any indication? Is there any any idea what process he's going to use again? Uh, there is none. There is only speculation. Uh, he, you know, I, none of us, I believe, have heard anything from uh, either his office or from the courts yet. Uh, you know, perhaps he's waiting for the data to actually come in before you know he kind of gets gets to that point. But and, you know, we have and no- when's that data due? When's it coming in? Because I know we're already a year late for on, on redistricting. I mean, you know, maybe August, maybe September. Uh, you know, at one point there was a thought we'd get it by the end of July, but now we're hearing and reading that it could potentially be August and, you know, into early to mid-September for all we know at this point. Okay, well, I, I've been speaking with Essex County Republican Chairman Al Barless, one of uh, clearly the smartest people in New Jersey when it comes to politics, and, and he'll, he'll have a seat at the table at the head of the table on redistricting. So I, I 